don't care where's actually best. I care where customers are getting best service. And you know what? It's just a really good place for fintech. It just happens to be a great place to start that type of business because you've got the talent, you've got the access to government, you've got all of these people that really care about this stuff who will come to a podcast and turn out and sit and listen to people rant about it. That is special. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. So my name's Adam Desmond. I'm the UK and Ireland country manager for MyTech Systems. You can see we're an event partner here this evening, so they've given me the opportunity to say a few words. So thank you for inviting us. And the first thing you're probably thinking is, who are MyTech Systems? So I'll give you a quick rundown. What it says on the tin is MyTech Systems are a NASDAQ uh, FinTech business that operates across 6,500 banks globally. We have 80 million customers using our technology on a day-to-day -day basis globally. What the marketing team would say is that we create certainty in an uncertain world. And me, personally, I believe we create trust in a digital world where trust is hard to come by, where you don't see that person face-to-face, -face, and you have to build that relationship and that trust with your end customer. So we're really excited to be here today and support the events, and hopefully we can have some great conversations with you guys that are at the forefront, at the, uh, creating innovation in the sector, really pushing the banks to think about how they're doing things, and, and we're here to support you in this market and uh, help you deliver that challenge, um, specifically around ID document validation, uh, and that's what our business is, and we want to be front and center with you guys and that's why we're here today. So thank you for inviting us, and we're sure to see more of you throughout the evening and over the months to come. Thank you very much. Welcome to FinTech Insider After Dark, the 11th edition. My name is David Breer, and today we are in the yard in London's Shoreditch, and we are live. Wonderful. This is a very special 11FS edition of Fintech Insider, and we are turning it up to 11 tonight. Keeping it in the 11FS family, so please do welcome to the stage my amazing colleagues, co-hosts, and a bunch of my friends as well. Lida Glitzer, starting CEO of 11FS Foundry. Lida, you're up. <laughs> Next up. Oh, they love you, don't they? That's nice. Well, yeah. Can you blink? I got a pity laugh, a pity laugh and a pity clap. You got like a big... Anyway, all right, no jealousy. Simon, you better do well here as well. Simon Taylor. <laughs> and last but no means least, Sarah Kachansky. Folks, so before we get started, like a few things that I like if for the sharp ones of you who didn't just sit on your seats and wonder what those little things were, we're going to be playing bingo today. This is fun. Again, very British. We'll explain it to our sort of foreign listeners at some point what bingo is. <laughs> you don't have to worry about it. Just say stuff. It'll happen. So what we're going to be doing, so the audience are going to be playing bingo tonight. So everybody has a FinTech Insider bingo card on their seats. And actually, as we go through, you've got a pen, you've got a card. So as you hear those buzzwords as we go through them, all just the random things that I personally seem to have as a tick when I'm thinking, um, then please tick them off. Um, what I would say, the first person to shout full house when you've filled up your card, and we will be checking, so no cheating, boys and girls, okay? Um, and show us the completed card, gets a prize. Um, all clear? All right, let's get on with the show then. So this is our 11th After Dark. And for those who don't know, After Dark is that live recording we do every now and then again. So what we do is we bring the community together. We have some good conversations, some good food, some booze, and just have a laugh, really. So um, most of them have been here in London, but actually we've been doing this out in San Francisco, Atlanta, New York, and all over the place. Um, maybe starting with, like, what's the favorite memories of these? Because, like, this is the 11th one now. Like, Sarah, what's your favourite memory? I get to go first. This is brilliant. Yeah, don't look at me like that, Alida. Um, I was thinking about this earlier, and my, my favourite moment is literally fancy dress. So I, I woke up on the stage, and I never make any more of an effort. I usually, sorry, guys. And then I see people come into the audience dressed as unicorns. That is incredibly <laughs> memorable. 
unicorns literally running around the audience. And then there was the lady who came dressed as a Monzo card. And I'm just like, well, that's, that's, there's no way we can beat that, ever. That was pretty impressive, wasn't it? It was incredible. There's a, there's a picture somewhere of Jason Bates, co-founder of Monzo, holding lady who came <laughs> dressed as Monzo card, which was amazing, I have to say. Totally consenting, by the way. Yeah. The, <laughs> but, uh, Lido, how about you? What was your favourite memory? Well, I had, to, I had to not talk about the unicorn running around, which has to be the weirdest moment, because I had just flown in from the Middle East to come as a guest. I didn't work for 11FS at the time, and there was a grown man running around in a, in a unicorn at onesie, and I thought, I think I need to get back to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> but since Sarah decided to go first and steal my favourite moment, I must admit the coolest and, oh my God, this is my life now moment was uh, walking around my neighborhood wearing my 11FS after dark in the sun with like contradictions occasionally, sunglasses after the up, the one we did in the summer, and somebody flagging me down in the street and saying, what's it worth? I will buy them off you. <laughs> Nice. You should have been there. Uh, I'm going to go sentimental and say the first one. Uh, it was a risk. We didn't know if anybody was going to show up, and people keep showing up to these things, and that's amazing, and we have so much fun. I think the first one was like a Halloween one or something like that, and uh, uh, everybody got dressed up for it, and that's where the Monzo card one happened, and it's just been an absolute blast. Mm. So, yeah, I, I went sentimental. Yeah, I think my, mine definitely was, I mean, standing backstage with you and si uh, with you and Jay. Jay was dressed as like a crazy professor for Halloween. Yep. And to your point, Lita, just realizing like this is our job. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Like, People all, pay all, us to do this. Yeah, so. I mean, like high school, scoot, scoot, like guidance counselor, and what my job would be when I grew up. Like, this would never have been the <laughs> I thing. I hung but... out with people dressed like credit cards. I know, it's weird. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I proved him wrong. Screw you, Mr. Smith. This is all I got to say. <laughs> all right, so what we're going to be doing today then, so for our 11th anniversary show, we're bringing back all the favorite parts of our show. So it's going to be news, it's going to be insights, and we're going to have a laugh as well. So it's a bit of a hybrid of all of the bits and that we sort of do on the podcast. Uh, we'll start with the news stories to kind of get things going, uh, kick off some debate, and uh, hopefully sort of actually, other than just have a laugh, some salient, interesting points as well. Um, and what we're going to be doing as we go through, we're going to be looking for opportunities for you guys to get involved. So if you want to be on the podcast, like, like, you know, be ready for the mug to be thrown in your face. If you don't, you're probably in the wrong place again. So um, this is not the place for you. Uh, we all good to go? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. All right. So topic one, or and I'm going to take the first one. We're going to kind of rotate around a little bit. You remember this from the rehearsal, right? Okay. There was rehearsal? a rehearsal. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is we're going to rotate around a little bit. But the first one, the one that I really wanted to kind of talk about was the ongoing saga with the remedies fund, everything that's <laughs> happening with BCR. Um, so last year we, we reported pretty excitedly, I think at the time, everything that was actually happening with RBS remedies fund. Um, panel of judges, full pools, sounded really exciting. You know, like judges and pools. Yeah. Like, people like, going to get pushed into pools. Yeah. It was a wonderful game show. Um, so a total total of 425 million was given to 15 companies in four pools. Which is a lot of money, folks. It does. It's a lot of money. It could do a lot of things. Uh, and a year on, it turns out that money came with some strings. Um, so if we maybe just take a look at what's sort of occurring now. So we've got Metro Bank announced that it's going to have to give back 50 million of the 120 million that it was given. Uh, Starling received the second prize of 100 million in Pool A and has only been able to lend 1 million towards its 2023 lending goal of 913 million. Just um, 912 to go. I know. It's all I mean, about... Strategic. Yeah, Jacobs. There's Jacob. always a start, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, on that. Stop. You start um, somewhere. And Nationwide, which was awarded the top prize of 50 mil in Pool B, has now pushed back the launch of its business count to later on in the year. So, uh, I mean, is this sort of a? Because I actually saw. I mean, Beringa were sort of a bit lambasted in the news for like the process, but I, it feels quite unfair that to me. Yeah, the process seems fine, but what I love about this is like it's it's as if you've won the lottery and then you've acted like a bit of an idiot, so you've had to give some of the money back. I'd love to see Camelot like chasing after weird lottery winners. But it wasn't a lottery. It was never meant to be a lottery. And what I like about it is that at the end of the day, if we take a step back, it is the Remedies Fund. It's a case of we pumped a lot of money into salvaging this part of the economy. We got as, I'm being the government now for a second. The foreigner is being the government now for a second. But we got lambasted for it, and therefore, we had a moment to think and thought, actually, 
That's fair. Mm. The lambasting was fair. Therefore, the remedies fund are forthcoming to remedy an error in fairness, mm. a lapse in fairness rather than a, an error. The fact that the remedies fund would come with conditions so that we don't need to have remedies funds for the rest of our lives makes absolute sense. And the fact that you're held to the commitments you made makes for a nice change. I mm. quite like this. I don't like it from the point of view of the entities that are potentially finding themselves having to cut down on jobs and plans because, I mean, it's a hard economy for everyone. But from an abstract perspective, the remedies fund comes with rules so that we don't have to do this forever. It makes sense. So I don't disagree with that, but I do disagree with the idea that the process was fine because the opacity of the entire process has driven me nuts. Um, so that, you know, to start with, nobody was quite sure what criteria you did have to meet. And, and, you know, the commitments that the people who did get the money made were incredibly vague. I looked through them and, and, and they, they were kind of... There were some numbers here and there. I mean, 913 they... is pretty specific. Yeah, well, okay, fair. <laughs> um, I, will, I, will, I will take that, that particular comment back. So, but I mean, I, I, the... I've been advocating for, like, it being a game show for a while, though, right? So, like, if they would have had, like, a big event with it, like an event like this, will this I This is am, what our maybe... meetings are like, by the way, <laughs> at work. In case you're wondering, is this what it is like? Yes. But, but the point that has really um, graced on me recently is when all these things have happened, so Metro Bank's had to give some money back, you know, accusations thrown at Starling isn't lending at the rate it's supposed to, nationwide running late, um, a, lot of the, a lot of people have looked to the BCR and to the people who made those decisions and said, you know, were you expecting this? You know, what's your response to this? And the lack of accountability is what I don't like. So the BCR said, it's not our problem to decide that we gave it to the right people, we just had to give it to some people according to the EU. Mm. You know, the Treasury has gone, yeah, definitely not our problem, we just had to make sure the money was out there. So that's what's really frustrating me here, is that nobody seems to be accepting accountability for these things that might have gone wrong. I mean, so instead I mean, of saying that, like, we made this decision and um, perhaps we didn't see that variable. Yeah. I mean, with Metro, how you couldn't have not have seen that variable, it's beyond me. Um, I mean, it was very bad timing with the Metro one, wasn't it? Because it was, I think it was like three days after the announcement that all the troubles happened. Well, they admitted that they made a huge mess up in their accounting mm. and they didn't have anywhere near as much money as they thought they had, so how they could possibly have expected to meet the commitments they'd made to double mm. the money anyway. In an unexpected turn of events, because I didn't think I was going to be saying this when I read the show notes, we're all about trying things out and being scrappy little startups. And although there are no scrappy little startups involved in this, it's the first time anything of this size, magnitude or shape is being tried out. Well, there were in, in some of the lower, lo lower levels. I mean, there's, um, I think, what is it? Uh, Pool C. Iwaka and yeah. Pool C. But it's not so much who gets the money, but the process is brand new and bold and different. Uh, yes, okay. And to your point, Sarah, everything you said is right. But the fact that people are stepping in and going, we may not have done this perfectly because who does anything perfectly the first time around apart from you? I mean, is it, is it an interesting one? I mean, are, is the best person coming out of this NatWest, RBS? Because all this money was to get customers to move away from NatWest and RBS. And if that's not working and not happening... Depends what happens next. Yeah. If yeah. the people who return the money... So if... So there are a series of assumptions. If the people who got the money and didn't deliver against their promises don't get to cry foul on the process, because Sarah, you're absolutely right, and keep the money for an extended period and blah, 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 then not yet. Mm. But, but if they return the money and the money gets sent again. back out and redistributed, then we're true to the cause, and we don't know. But mm. in a year's time, we might still be here, and, still and you'll here. be right. <laughs> well, I, like this I, like this. I like this place. I'm staying. There are burgers at the end. There's wine here. I'm staying. But there's a, there's a bigger like macro picture for me, regardless of how perfect or imperfect the process was. For the first time, nearly every large bank and every fintech had an excuse to think about the massively underserved small businesses. And mm. I think that's a really important cause. And if this was just a big jar of candy with lots of arms reaching into it, then fine. Um, if it's created some innovation, yes, there was Tide and Coconut that were happening long before this, but it, it gave some focus and attention. And I think the same way that Level 39 didn't make fintech, but it gave it focus and attention, mm. there's something to be said for focus and attention. And you know, long may small businesses be treated better mm. and get better service from the banks. They've been Amen. massively underserved, massively overcharged for far too long, mm. and there are new services coming. I think we also can't forget that this is only part of where the money's gone. So the money that came from RBS is only part of it. There 
is another uh, chunk which is designed to be used to encourage switching. Mm. So, um, you know, all the focus tends to get put on this because, it, as you say, it sounds like a lottery or a prize or a competition or whatever. But that second chunk, I think, actually arguably may even be more So I have, I have beef with the encouraging switching thing because, like, switching almost never happens in uh, current accounts for consumers. What you see is you get this Mother. other account as well. And that other account as well can be profitable or not. That's a whole other debate for later. But the switching in small businesses is even less likely. But what definitely happens is I have lots of suppliers. <laughs> uh, you know, once you're four or five years old as a business, like trying to unplug the core bank account from all of your operations would just be a nightmare. You but said having core, more by bank the way. You said core. <laughs> yeah. Um, but can I change my hats now and completely contradict myself? In the sense that if we look at this, not from the point of view of due process and fairness, which was the hat I had on before, for those not paying attention, but I'm changing the hat to the cause is to give small businesses a voice and choice. Where do you buy that hat? <laughs> well, you don't. You don't. I had to make my own. Um, but we can brand them with 11FS for the next after job. Nice. Sold. And yet, we would have to come up with a whole swath of like propositions because what we're seeing from this is that this is in the name of the small businesses. But the fact that the loans are not going out the door mm. and these people have to turn out and say, my bad, I overestimated either my ability to deliver or the willingness of the... SME to come to the table, all my scorecards being so fundamentally different to the incumbents. The reality is, if this was meant to move the needle for the small dude, the fact that they have to return the money means it hasn't. So one thing that we can take away from this, is it process, is it over-ambitious capability mm. design? The SMEs are probably sitting there going, I'm still waiting. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, think, I like my jar of candy, please. <laughs> well, I think um, just to, to raise the point that Simon touched on earlier, where you look at like, what iWalker and Zero are doing. Um, and I think actually, as you might expect, those smaller companies that got the smaller chunks of money have done slightly more with them and moved at slightly faster pace, mm. but they get less. Funny that, as, yeah. As, as startups do, yeah. No, I, mean, I mean, that was the thing. I feel slightly sorry for Nationwide here because, you know, they had to push it back a bit. Someone tweet that. I feel slightly <laughs> sorry for Nationwide. It's the only time you'll ever hear me say it. I will never say that again. But um, to be lumped in with, you know, Metro and, and you know, it, it, it was a very different set of circumstances yeah. to me. Mm -hmm. okay. And yes, the big bank took longer than they thought they were going to to test their product. Surprise! Yeah. <laughs> not, not that surprised. If at the end of it, and what I really hope, and I'm still optimistic because it's still early in the evening, um, is that what comes out at the end of it is that... <laughs> well, that made me more or less optimistic. Um, if what comes out at the end of it is actually a really well-designed, well-iterated, well-tested product that does help SMEs, then great. Sorry it took a bit longer than we thought, but those SMEs have been waiting 20-odd years, so an extra year, the prob's not that important. Do you know what I think is really interesting? Like, at the end of a year, given it was like a lottery win, that there's any money to give back. Do you know what I mean? Like, if <laughs> yeah. I won the lottery, I'd oh, be... Oh, but the fact that they have to give it back doesn't mean that it's there to be given back. These Maybe. are two very different things. Right? Well, I was going to say, I'd yeah. be the guy with the quad bike and the jet ski on my front lawn. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, so there would be no money to give back after that first year. Uh, so. Oh, but you would still be collect... expected, to, expected give to give it back. That would yeah. be a very awkward conversation no, with Sarah. No, I'd file for bankruptcy really quickly. So, <laughs> uh, right, enough on that one. Should we move on? Over to you. Me? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I'm going to... We did rehearse, honest. Yeah. Uh, we, did, we didn't rehearse the passes. That was a, that was a forward pass or on the backwards pass. A slight rugby joke. It, it'll make sense next I, week. I know you loved sports, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, N26 has left the UK. JP Morgan Chase thinks it's going to come to the UK. So the question is, what does product market fit look like? Mm. So N26 have announced uh, that they will cease operations in the UK. All N26 accounts will be closed as of April 15th of this year. Um, the company is currently passporting on an EU banking license, but it will no longer be able to do that after the end of the transition period, which is the end of this year. Now, it could have gone for a UK banking license, but decided that that wasn't something it wanted to do. Um, apparently, uh, N26 currently has several hundred thousand UK customers. 
Yeah, for those who are listening, there were some definite bunny ears happening there. Um, at the same time as that, JP Morgan Chase, which is apparently America's biggest bank, is consulting with UK regulators about a digital operation that could open by the end of the year. So that new bank is expected to offer savings accounts and loans. Marcus. <laughs> but I you love stole the fact. My line. Yeah. You stole my line. I love the fact that we're saying N26 is leaving, JP Morgan is coming in. Like, how was that the same thing? <laughs> well, I guess I guess that the point that we want to throw out there is uh, N26 perhaps maybe didn't do so well with attracting UK customers. What can JP Morgan Chase do differently? So before we get there, I'm going to do this thing which I always end up doing on stage, which is put my hands over my eyes. Are there any N26 customers in the room? Show of hands. Any hands? One. One plus two. Three. Two, three. Nina, Nina. and Veronique. Okay. Okay, right. there are three and 26 customers. The two that I can see and recognize have European passports. <laughs> um, can what I see the third one back there? <laughs> what about Marcus? Like, anybody Marcus? Four. We're going Marcus. More, we've got more Marcus. More Europeans, though. About 10%. How do you know that they're all European? I can see their faces. <laughs> As in, I know them. C- consider yourself judged, everybody. Um, okay. And can I, I just, love you guys. And just this, then this one's for the Americans. Any Chase customers? <laughs> oh, oh, three people. The Americans three, they're just in. loud. And every one of them whooped. Did they yeah. do it? <laughs> it's, that's a thing. Obviously, a requirement when you sign up to Chase. That's how you get the passport. All right. So, so what we've established is what I'm doing wrong. No, no, there, are, there are not that many people in this room currently holding accounts from those providers. And it, it might be worth saying for our audience that the way this community works, we tend to be multi-banked to the absolute extreme because we have a certain degree of geekery that says, new bank account must trade. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do we think then? Do we, what do we think about N26? Was it really because you know, it was untenable as a result of Brexit? Or was it other issues in the UK market? And then do we think JP Morgan Chase will suffer from the same issues or is it much bigger and much stronger and won't have those problems? Apples and oranges, right? I, I think those two questions are valid, but not together. <clears throat> so N26, I'm not buying the hundred thousand, whatever, several hundreds of thousands and billions. Millions of customers. Of customers. <laughs> I like N26. I actually really like them. I like what they do and I like how they do it. I'm not a customer. Um, I missed my chance. What can I say? They're not in Greece. They're <laughs> not here. It feels like a I'm weird screwed. breakup with N26. I, I like <laughs> them. They're a good guy. But Which we never got past that second <laughs> date. Right? So my, this my, is my, this my, is my card has been in my sock drawer for at least 12 months. Wait a second. Well, N26, you've been damned by yeah. Sarah Gachansky. What can I say? But I, I personally would have expected this to have been a cost-benefit analysis and gone... We have a footprint in the UK, but we also have intense competition of people who do the thing really well in the UK, given the changing market and the fact that it's going to get expensive to maintain what we do there. Is it worth it? And deciding this market is not worth it, for me personally, is the reality check we need. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, th- I think, like you say, I think total apples and oranges here. It's like N26 was here to acquire customers. I'm actually not sure JP Morgan Chase are. Uh, I mean, like the retail customers. I mean, come on. Well, so they're going mean, to make money JP without. Morgan did Finn in the US. Yeah, well, that went well. well. Oh, was there any Finn customers? Now? Are we talking about that now? No, there's no Finn customers. I mean, Finn's not a thing anymore, is it? If, so, if, but, if nobody remembers Finn by Chase, look it up after yeah. the show. Look or my, ask us afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> look at my blog that predicted its demise six months before it happened. Yeah. Just putting that Just out saying, there. Just saying, yeah. The Oracle. But, but, you know, Finn, Finn was a, an opportunity to try and create a new thing. You know, it was like actually the future of the organization. How do we create a new architecture? How do we create a new strategy? How do we listen to consumers in a different way? And it wasn't far enough away from the big bank to really benefit from all of those things. So they were like, let's do it in England. Because mm. <laughs> that's far. There's See, an ocean. I, I, don't th- I don't think this is that at all. I think this is straight up Marcus clone. Uh, they're doing savings and lending. It sounds like Marcus. But isn't that uh, just a bank? Well, yeah, but it's okay. So maybe more like Oak North then. But, but, but Marcus, for the hundredth time on this show, I will come to the defense of Goldman Sachs. I'm not feeling very well. <laughs> we need we need a Chase. jingle for this. Like, I know, right? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. No, no, no. I'm, I, I, I'm saying it's a different thing in the sense that Chase has a retail presence. Yeah. Marcus yeah. is not disturbing the, the mothership in any way. But Chase doesn't have a retail presence in the UK. Which they is why they're massive, bringing it out here. But they have a massive, mass affluent retail presence, especially in the US. Can and you the imagine those, those meetings? Can you imagine the meetings where they said, we will now divert time, money, and resources away from our 
massive retail base in the US where we've been shutting down branches and withdrawing from the footprint we used to have to explore a new market that is to some extent savvy, and I wouldn't say saturated, but definitely like 2.0 in terms of what they expect in terms of the digital offering, mm -hmm. because Marcus did it well. But, but, but I, I wouldn't but want that, to be in that but that's, where the, that's where I don't think it's about acquiring customers. I think that's because it's, it's more... I think it's much more strategic than that. I think it's... I know, I know. Wait a minute. I know. Was, that, was that one of the bingo things that... Uh, no, no, I think it Marcus should definitely have wasn't. There should yeah. have been a, a thing times. that says David praises Big Bang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but like genuinely, I, I think it's like, I actually think it's a good strategy that, I, you know, I think, I actually think the Finn thing was a good thing to try and do because if you're facing into all of that crap in the back office and your operational costs getting crazy, like doing something new makes sense, but they just didn't quite do it right. So I do think the going to England like, and trying to have another go at it actually makes a lot of sense. I'm if they liking to have another go at it. Yeah. I think it, it holds true to everything we say. And I, as, as the, the person who is still an unrepentant banker, 17 months on, I love the fact that it didn't work and they're back at it. Mm. Whether this works or not, we'll see. Also, it didn't work and they closed it. Like, how much yes. praise did mm. Monzo get for going, oh, Monzo Plus didn't work, we're closing it, we're owning it. Yeah. Actually, Finn by Chase, they did the same thing, That's so right. credit to them for that. And then they've gone, like, we're going to have another go, but then what are all of the reasons Marcus by Goldman worked in the UK and what can we learn from that? And is that mass affluent segment not being properly served by the big banks with something digital and straight through? I mean, I hate to say it, but the reason that Marcus worked in the UK was the interest rate. Yeah, like, but that's that, that, is, that is it, it to start You with. hate to say it, but Sarah but praises it Marcus every breath she takes. It's all right, we've, we've, we, we had a bad breakup, okay? It was a few months ago, and I don't really want to talk about it. Chase Sapphire, though, in the um, US, if you ask any Chase Sapphire customer, like, the rewards around that thing are unbelievable. So mm. it's a great thing. Like, yeah. Chase are very good at this game. But, 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 but these guys are good at the game they used to play, and they're learning how to play our game, and to me, this is the news, right? Yeah. They're learning, they're pivoting. Yeah. They're killing things that don't work. They're changing the things that... This is, this is the big boys knowing how to do the thing. Now it gets interesting. But, but do you think that they're going to come in with... So to the point you just made, Simon, like uh, Sapphire by Chase, hugely popular credit product in the US, uh, rewards-based. Um, do you think they're going to come in here and try and do that in the UK? Because that's not a proposition we've seen much of you know, here. I don't know if they're going to do that, but I think they're going to use that heritage to do something that looks and feels like, what if you did that here? There are some fundamental differences between markets. Interchange here doesn't look like interchange there, so there just isn't as much revenue to go around. Um, UK customers aren't used to the high levels of annual fees, and we're just... There are rewards junkies, but not nearly as many. So, and but we I'm going to go with... They Absolutely. know a lot of this and they can afford the research. Absolutely. And I think they've, been, they've proven time and again that they're willing to start small. They've got uh, a lot of uh, employees and a lot of office space based in the UK for, for their investment banking operations. I think they've got a lot of things that said this, if they do it the right way, and David, it's your favorite saying, it's not what you do, it's the way you do it. Uh, that's going to be the key here. It's like the strategy seems sound, but will they actually execute this thing? Yeah, oh, completely. Right. Well, let's, let's call it, because I think that's the end to like this first half of the show. I'm going to pass it back over to David, because I think you've got um, something special to shake things up a bit, have you not? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be it, like, this is the bit where you're going to start getting a bit involved in this as well. So actually, what we're going to do, so we have the rant bucket. I think you... She's you, a very classy glass yeah, jar we, for those who can't see what David is holding up. Yeah, we emptied the fish out in the office, basically. <laughs> and uh, so what, what we're going to do, so we're going to play a little game. So um, this was first done with uh, Sam Moore back in the After that we did in Atlanta. Basically, what we're going to do is random. Like we uh, we know what's in here, but we don't know what which one we're going to get. So we are randomly going to pick one of these and then just rant about it for a bit, which is going to be fun. Um, so we'll pull a topic out of the bowl. We've got one minute to give you the best rant on the topic. Uh, production team have submitted some of the topics and also a bunch of people off Twitter, which is good. Um, there was some interesting. Well, like literally, we've got from talk about climate change to why does Simon like Pepsi Max so much? <laughs> which Nobody is going to be interesting. Nobody knows. He has it for breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning. Weird, but I love you. So, Lida, you're up first. If I don't like it, I put it back and I pick another. That's one. not how this works. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> ah. 
Influencerlists. Oh. <laughs> what the actual? I have started starting every single one of my talks with, why are you here? Why am I here? Do you know what I do for a living? If you don't know what I do for a living, you shouldn't be here. If you're here because you just read me on Twitter and you don't know what I do for a living, you shouldn't be here. Leader is scary. <laughs> True story. Leader is scary and leader needs to get scarier. We've been doing this for a very long time. And I'm on a lot of influencer lists, which I need to do something about. All right, show off. Go. You're on more influencer lists. You need to apologize later. There's nothing wrong with influencer lists, provided they do some influencing. The biggest problem of our industry is that we like the cozy feeling of, I've seen you at 87 conferences and I don't know what you do, but I like you. And when we start talking about things, you go quiet because you don't know the things because you've never done the things. Yes. I wrote this piece many years ago. Where's Tanya? Hi, Tanya. This is uh, the genius behind Leader Rights. She was like, no, 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 people really, really want to hear the rants. And one of the first pieces we wrote was about kitchen implements and influencers. And like, you never have the right influencer when you're looking for it the same way as you have that egg separator, but you can't find it. And we've all been in, those of us who are not full-time influencers, have been in situations where the organization we worked for had a thing that was our speciality, and we were there with the influencer status, but a meeting was taking place over there with people who knew nothing about it and were up all night researching it, was I could have fixed this for you in five minutes. Meanwhile, I was over there working on a data center that I don't know the first thing about. And that's your problem. Your influencers are either people who are on the circuit or people who are in their organizations, known shitloads, but the organizations don't remember where they put them. So those <laughs> lists are no good to anyone unless the organization goes, oh wait, we have one 17 of, of my people are on there. Where did I put you? And where are you when I need to ask a question? Rant over. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, like, I like, though, that we're saying... Like, <laughs> he knows where I sit, by the way. Yeah, we do, yeah. I, I like that the idea that on an influencer list now, it should say what building you're in. So it's like... <laughs> so people can just remember that stuff. Right, Simon, you're up next. Just a small anecdote on influencer lists. I had a bet with Sharon O'Day that um, if she started using hashtag fintech in her tweets and on her personal bio on Twitter, she would end up on influencer lists. One and year she later, did. she did. did. <laughs> you're welcome. That's how you do it, if you care. Um, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Or I will find you. I have a very special set of skills. <laughs> what did you get? Is London still the best city in the world for fintech? I mean, Ooh. yeah. Oh, that was short. <laughs> Can I have that another was not one? Um, you know what? This gets really frustrating because the amount of people who go, eh, but what about us? You know, China has more fintech and it has bigger businesses, and the US, like, I don't care where's actually best. I care where customers are getting best service. And you know what? It's just a really good place for fintech. Just happens to be a great place to start that type of business because you've got the talent, you've got the access to government, you've got all of these people that really care about this stuff who will come to a podcast and turn out and sit and listen to people rant about it. That is special. What, what I love to do is, so if, if, like, if, if people are like, yeah, but America's bigger and it's better, and it's like, yeah, the two biggest fucking banks in America have come to the UK to start your challenges. But like. also trust Simon's rant to be so loving and inclusive. <laughs> love you, yeah. dude. You just had, well, you wanted the Pepsi one, really, didn't I you? I really <laughs> wanted the Pepsi one. Card and Sarah, you, you want to do the Pepsi one? Uh, Three uh, seconds, go. No, it's the pineapple one you want. <laughs> oh. I actually, people who stay on after this, Ask him about pineapples, you will not regret it. <laughs> Everybody has a safety word, Simon. <laughs> I, I, I really... I, I, no, I really don't know how to follow this up because I've got PPI. Oh. Uh, You've I got mean, the fun one. Oh, man. I mean... I wish Stop I had, the clock. I wish I'd had pineapple. Um, all right, so PPI is something that has been going on way, way, way too long. Um, we keep seeing, we keep hearing about it in results. We keep seeing banks put aside money for it. You know, uh, what, what I can only hope is that things have been learned and these mis-selling scandals are not going to happen again. Um, I, wish, I wish I could see evidence of that, but I'm already like, starting to see it when you see some of the, the current fintech products that are being sold, saying we can do X, Y, Z, 
and they come out and they do it, and they actually can't do that. And to me, that's almost <coughs> on the same level as, as, as the PPI scandal. Well, you think about how the sort of the, the point of sale lending has been started to see as predatory, and people are, people are thinking about that. It's like, are we learning lessons, or is, or is it just the same old, same old? Yeah, are you still, are you still mis-selling products? Are you still not telling people exactly what you're selling in order to get more people through the door, in order to make more money? There was the uh, case really recently of, um, I'm not quite sure how you say it, Zux, Zox, Zux, which was on the tube. What is one of those? Yeah. What? <laughs> Somebody just broke Seriously, sound. Having a fit. <laughs> Mike, Michael's Can we get the battery, please? Come back to me at the Christmas blooper reel. Um, they basically. Oh yeah, no, but that's guaranteed. Yeah, it was. It was basically an advert on the tube that said um, you can get five percent interest on our savings-like account. Um, it was a, a cryptocurrency pyramid like scheme. being the yeah. operative was, word. This was, is the safe word, people run. Um, and then the FCA were like, no, 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 wait, you, you, you can't do that. You've got to take those down. But by the time they'd actually said that, loads and loads of people had already seen it. Point being, mis-selling still happening. Wish you were better. Mm. Wish it wasn't still happening. Crypto's fine. I, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly sad it has calmed down because, like, I don't get as many text messages anymore. Give me the ball. You're so, not choosing your own. Uh, yeah, do it. Oh, no, he is choosing his own. Come no, on. I'm, 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 I'm mixing. I'm mixing. All right, you think David, you positioned the random pieces of paper? What am I going? FinTech conferences. Ah, go for it. Wow, I'm almost incorporating all of yours because, like, yeah, I mean, uh, fintech conferences for me are the worst at this stage, I think, because essentially what you're sort of getting is just the same people saying the same things over and over again. It's Collective like Groundhog Alzheimer's. Day, but think things that you find interesting. The people who are, are kind of there are either CEOs of banks standing up and saying that we're now technology companies when you're not technology companies, or it's fintechs standing up saying that you've got the next best thing that's going to fix all of your ailments type thing. So, so I think it. It is a it is a very difficult one. I think the whole uh, the whole agenda of it, the whole format of what fintech conferences need to be changed, uh, like really just needs a massive reset. So I'm hoping you know if there's anything good of, uh, of of anything over the next sort of six months or so is that with a lot of conferences being cancelled, people have got a lot of time to figure out what the fuck they actually do. Do we do we want to let the audience play? Yeah, right. Uh, Put your hand up. Who wants right now, look down if you don't Come want on, who who wants like to, to be. Who wants a rant? You get have to a rant, rant have about a rant. something Come on, random. Do it. Cool. You're up. The man needs a microphone. He's, he's got one. What do you got? When people. Oh, go on. Okay. I'll, I'll take this one. So, when people call us FS11, fucking stop doing that, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? You made me buy another domain, you motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, M and A. Go. go, go on. Stand up. Yeah. Is this working? Yep, yep. Sorry, it's me again. Hi. <laughs> uh, did you not listen? Come on. So M and A. I think um, we've seen it across very different sectors, and uh, in the financial services, it's interesting. You mentioned about Chase UK coming. Is there a strategy? I heard someone mention strategy. What's the plan longer term in terms of? coming into the market and is there a potential acquisition there? Yeah. I mean But it's cool. happening, I think it's coming and and we see it across different sectors. I think it will come into this space as well. Uh, is some of you fintechs gonna get acquired by a big bank that just can't get it right? Nice. Hey. I mean all those VCs looking for an exit are gonna love some MA at some point, right? Uh, who else wants another go? I'm going to the back here. So oh you're brave, you put your hand straight up. How's it going? What have you got? Libra. Oh, go on then. Simon, breathe deeply. Come on, you, you got it. Cryptocurrency and the, the Facebook's attempts to justify everything. Go. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. State of Libra, crypto, cryptocurrency. What are we looking at? What is the state of it? What are our thoughts? Go. Go. What are you, what's yours? Go. Oh, not mine. Yeah, I'm you've got a minute. Yeah, go. That's point. <laughs> it's a random. I didn't realize I had to rant. I didn't realize this was the way it was going to go. I would have picked something better. Oh, perfect timing. Business Insider is here. In my mind, it's it's a little bit dead, but that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it. Oh, let Simon have a go. Let Simon have a so, go. So, Libra, maybe don't announce a thing before everybody's really into it. That's probably <laughs> a good idea. You know? Like, I'm going to go with... Didn't care then, don't care now. Go. I'm going to go with, if you want to know more about Libra, you listen to Blockchain Insider, which uh, is available on iTunes now. Did you, did 
did you just give anybody full house? Stamp like, your cards, ladies and gentlemen. It. Stamp your cards. All <laughs> uh, right, we've probably got time for one more. Who's not making eye contact at all? Oh, the gentleman at the back here. What would you like? What have you got? <laughs> open banking deadlines. Oh, okay. Ah! <laughs> is, is there anybody here from the open banking? No, nobody wants what? to put their hand up for that one. one. Yeah, hand goes up and down really <laughs> quickly. Go on then, open banking. Open banking, well, um, it's disappointing to see people like Metro basically walking away from it. Um, like the trouble UK is further ahead than everyone else, which is great, but there's so much more they could do. And it's still the reluctance of banks to actually do what the consumer and the small business need rather than what the minimum is that's required. Cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting with the open banking one that, um, you know, so much was made of it and still so much kind of of like pe normal people don't know what open banking is, but also should they and does it matter really? So what do you guys think? I think if you want to know more about open banking, we have got a wealth of content on that space. We've got the most fantastic set of podcasts, you know. I'm going to stop cutting to you guys if you keep plugging stuff. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to go with it was open banking deadlines. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if open banking's worked, right? Did, and, and I'm well, the deadlines. The deadlines. <laughs> yeah, but like, has <laughs> the, de well, the deadlines definitely didn't work. Sure. There was a deadline. Whoosh. But that's banking. Everything was going to do that. I mean, go back and listen to episode two of FinTech Insider. Like, the deadlines were always going to get missed. We, uh, we, we actually have a retort. It's getting, it's getting battle rap-esque. Oh, so like, this uh, is good. Well, it's, it's not exactly a battle, but quite disappointing to read an article on the Sunday Telegraph and actually Tom Bloomfield being, being quoted saying that there was nil result from open banking. Don't read the Sunday actually, Telegraph. I know. Never again. Ever again. But actually, I would like to invite uh, the writer to actually get educated a little bit about this. I don't think the Sunday Telegraph people listen to us. <laughs> I'm going to go with probably not. It, it's interesting though, I actually agree with Tom that open banking uh, probably didn't achieve what it set out to achieve beyond optics. Like, it hasn't yet, but also there's an announcement today about Barclays allowing you to pay uh, from other bank accounts within your Barclays app, so we're starting to see it's moves getting there. there yeah. and I think once we start but it's a fair point. We, like, I'm all about the learning today, feeling large about this. Yeah. Or, all right, okay, so people, people come to the table, as, as our, our audience member just said, come to the table, have the dialect, the, the deadlines were missed, whoosh. But that doesn't mean the whole thing is dead. Open finance is coming. Oh no, don't rename it, I don't need another No, name. it's bigger, it's insurance, it's pensions, it's everything. It's back, it's the sequel. It's, it's only 1% finished. Share with the class, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> All right. I think we should open everything, just open everything. Yeah. Like yeah. drinks, bar, data, whatever you want. Wow. What's up? <laughs> All right, on that note, so what we're going to do, so that wraps, thank you for your audience participation. That was really good fun. Well done, you. Well done, you. Well done. And we're back in the room. So, Simon, over to you. Yeah, so story number three is hey, about... Excuse me, excuse me. Gentlemen, what would you like to share with us? To the mic. We were just talking about data sovereignty. Give him a mic. Hang on. Hang on one sec. Hold that thought. It's all right. And you, you've, you. got, you've got 60 seconds, as everybody else does, according yeah. to my producer's clock. So go. No, so we're just saying that actually. It's uh, turns into a pantomime, the, isn't it? If you shout loud enough, we'll come to you. It's no, so just talking about um, open banking a little bit more, there's a conversation to be had with all citizens about data sovereignty. Mm. And that is the driving factor behind open banking. People have to believe that the data belongs to them and their data is being analysed for their benefit. And that's what will create marketplaces that people will really engage in. That's my minute. Yeah. Do, you, do you think... Like Let's that. keep this going. Let's just pretend it's me and you. Uh, do you think people care, though? Like, do you, think, do you think people take responsibility of owning their data and protecting their data? Because, I mean, I always go back to I've pretty much given away every bit of data just for Wi-Fi in an airport, you know, like, so... Yeah. So, so read the book, The Era of Surveillance Capitalism, and then read the other book, um, which is uh, Trailblazers. Um, Salesforce are the power of good. Facebook is the, the dark lords. Um, we're entering an era of AI-driven everything. And for that to be successful, we're going to have to have it developed by really diverse groups of people. Mm. Um, and they're going to be throwing our data at you know, providing solutions that help us. Um, we're not there yet, but let's all do it together. Cool. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Over to Simon. Where were we? 
Um, so story number three is about investment at outages. Is the democratization of investment the right thing to do? And of course, this follows uh, last week the users of fee-free trading app Robinhood found themselves locked out of their accounts for over 12 hours, and I think it's happened again recently as well, um, in one of the year's busiest trading days. Uh, the Robinhood co-founders attributed the outage to an unprecedented load um, and, uh, of traffic that was... <laughs> Leave it. <laughs> that point in the evening. That point oh, in the evening. He's of traffic <laughs> that resulted from the Dow Jones Industrial Average point gain. Um, so the market gained $1.1 trillion over the course of the day, which Robinhood users were unable to capitalize on. Customers have threatened a class action lawsuit, and the outage also follows November's free money glitch, which allowed users to borrow up to a million dollars for $4,000. I enjoyed that episode of Fintech Insider. <laughs> yes, yeah. hashtag free money. Um, what's the impact of free trading, and is it really free, and has the consumer perception of what trading looks like really changed as a result of some of these apps? So I mean, have we got down to why the outage actually happened yet? The basic, well, so, so far as I can it tell... It was an unprecedented load. It, yeah. actually, <laughs> it actually happened three times. So they yes. were out for 12 hours on the Monday, out again on the Tuesday, then they were out again yesterday. Um, and they basically, they just literally couldn't handle the volume of trades that were trying to be, to be put through the system, which, exact, which is exactly what happened to some of the larger uh, platforms as well. So, um, is that the case? I mean, there's loads of like things swirling around, around like you know, leap years. Yeah, and... apparently complete nonsense. Okay, fine. Um, Spreading rumours. Whoops. I mean, my my thoughts on this got me called the sheriff of Nottingham, which um, oh. would be a very English joke. And if anybody's seen the film, I wouldn't mind being compared to Alan Rickman. But um, <laughs> okay, that hit home with a few people. Yeah, I was good. Um, I. The rest of us have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will I'll, I'll direct you that way. Um, my response to this is, if you say that what you're doing is giving the average person 24-7 access to trading, um, whether it's stocks and shares and, and, you know, and you know, that, that market, then you have to be able to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. And Robin has proven three times in the last week that it cannot do that. It's actually not fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. And that is its, is its core premise. So I know it's trying to do other things. I know it's expanding. I know it's talking about doing some kind of um, payments accounts and kind of uh, uh, cash holding accounts, etc. Mm. But um, if it can't do what it's set out to do, then it's not actually fit for purpose. And then the other thing is there, if you think about the fact the regulator has come back and has been involved, because the regulator was involved previously when Robinhood was hauled up for not selling at the point at which it said it was going to sell. Mm -hmm. So it basically um, came out and said that they uh, basically they've agreed to pay $1.25 million to the watchdog for allegedly failing to ensure customers receive best prices. So you go in, you say, I am going to pay this much for this you know, security, and Robinhood doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. The regulator has already clamped down on them for that. The regulator is in touch with them again for their second outage, for again not doing what they said they were going to do. Are they actually for the purpose? So, so that's a very fair point, but I think there are two separate issues there. Which is, one is everyone. None of us want to suffer outages, but there isn't a single business out there that hasn't. Mm -hmm. So the, the fact that at times the thing breaks and you run like crazy to fix it. There was a visa it's, outage, right? It's I the mean, reality of everyone's life. Everyone who's worked with software, which I'm guessing is everyone in this room, knows that it sucks and you want to kill yourself, but it happens to everyone. I've worked in large organizations, small organizations, traditional organizations, futuristic organizations, and outage happens at all times. At some point it sucks, but it happens. It's very different to the thing that you should have foreseen and makes you not fit for purpose. The thing that is interesting about this is that both of those things potentially are happening at once. So some of the free money Glitch. situation is possibly a, a great opportunity to fire their testing team immediately. But like I say, I mean, shit happens sometimes, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of like how you respond this to it. This often, though? You yeah. know, that's my point. Three times in one week. So the first time it happened, it obviously, things went wrong. As it's you not say, a good week at Robin Hood yeah. this week. It's not so, a good week. As you say, last Monday, things went wrong, and they went badly wrong, and they're out for 12 hours. Mm. And as you say, that happens. And then they said on the Tuesday they probably were going to have other outages whilst they tried to fix things. And then the fact that it happened again yesterday, sort of, mm. you know, that, that soon after, it, I guess maybe to, to, uh, to counter your point, I think it's that recurrence of mm. it that makes me think, oh, shit happens, but 
but, uh, but I think, I mean, I think as in principle, though, giving people access to buy shares, like not having to have that bowler hat gentleman sort of sell your shares and do that stuff. And I mean, I remember my mum and dad having to like look at CFAX for like things and whatnot. So like that, like giving everybody access to buy shares is good. Is it though? Okay. Because if it doesn't come with the appropriate education and we don't take the responsibility of bringing people's financial literacy up, we give access without responsibility. So the people who democratize access to finance, I'm all for it, right? It's, it's what gets us out of bed in the morning. But you democratize access to finance, it doesn't just mean I will give you enough rope to hang yourself mm. and destroy the future of your, of your family. Is I will give you access but I will also give you digestible, accessible information. And that doesn't mean I will remove all friction, is I will remove the jargon, I will remove the obstacles, but I will make sure that you understand what it is you're doing. I don't think all of those companies do it, and, for, and I don't think it's malicious, by the way. I think it's a case of we all pick the slice of the world we want to fight, but the reality is I don't think these things are good before you've put some narrative around them. Sure. Well, I think yeah. If you look back to, to the Great Depression in the 1930s, like there was oh, a lot of back uh, yeah. Person on the street. Got, I can't remember it. I'll be honest. Yeah. But, person so. on the street got massively into the stock market and got massively walloped when the stock market went down. And what and, a happy ending that was. And that's where we put rules in about you know sort of um, ensuring that you know, you had to have a certain level of sophistication before you could you could play roulette. You are at the roulette table, and if you ha don't have a lot to lose, you can lose your entire life. If you've got a lot to lose then you know, you're allowed to play on the stock market. And it's a, it's a rough rule of thumb. And by democratizing access, you can start to see that with great power comes great responsibility. And the responsibility side of that... Was that a Spider-Man quote? Yeah, I went Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Robin Hood, Spider-Man, mixed metaphors, I'm all about it. But it's really easy to remove friction, as Lita says, but it's really hard to uh, educate as you're going. And how much of this is a scaling challenge? Mm. Like, how much of this is just them learning as they go? We were very forgiving of the likes of the challenger banks in the UK when they had consistent and um, ongoing payments issues. You know, payments would go down at their supplier. They would be quite clear that it was their supplier. I think Robinhood have got some supplier issues downstream here as well. And actually, that's something that they're trying to say, but it's not coming out in the but story. Here, but here's another angle to this. Sarah, don't hit me. No, I'm not, not going to hit you, no. <laughs> what if these are the harder questions they didn't think they would need to answer so soon about responsibility and accountability on the deeper moral issues and implications of the power that your incredibly accessible digital capabilities put in the hands of people. This is new territory for all of us as a community. So I think we have a choice to say, ah, oh, Robin Hood, you did this wrong, or to say, well, we've arrived at a new set of questions, mm. and they're bearing the brunt of this like crazy. But we as a community, as an industry, have now created a set of capabilities that puts power and choice into the hands of people who don't necessarily have the information, and now we know it's on us to do that too, and it's part of the learning. Fintechs are in their awkward teenage phase. Like, they've gone goth, you know, no, not like that. Um, the, the fringe, right? But, but the, the, it's kind of gone from they're really cute to, oh wait, there's, you've got to go out into the world, and the, when when you're operating at scale, and when things go wrong. And you have a raven and it's like out of yeah. control. To, 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 to build on your point though, Lita, um, if you look at some of the complaints that have been uh, lobbied against uh, Robin Hood, and I don't know how accurate they are, but if you look at some of the numbers that are out there in the media about the amount of money that people lost due to this outage because they couldn't move their positions, they were tens and twenty and thirties of thousands of pounds down. Now again, I don't know the accuracy of those claims, that's just what's been reported in the media, but to your point about responsibility, like, those, that's a huge amount of money to be lost. So yeah, Monzo's payment systems go down and I can't make a payment and I can't move money and it's quite annoying, but I haven't lost anything personally mm. or financially. Unless you're single banked. Unless you're a single bank, and yes, I and it's a small that. community, but they exist. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, is there? I mean, are they? I mean, you know, like, who does anybody use free trade in the UK? Yeah, two, I mean, three, four. I mean, are you not doing, even very high though? Like, I mean, not above is, is anybody high. doing it because you want to be a day trader? Or do you just want to buy like Nike shares because you like That's Nike you, stuff? Mate. That's you, mate. That's just you. You and Jess. Jess. Shout out to Jess. 
So, so it, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, are the, I mean, the US market is clearly very different in terms of like propensity to sort of buy yeah. shares yeah. and own stock and, you know, do that. But like, are these things to facilitate day traders or is it just a quicker, easier way of buying shares? That, they were like, not meant to be for day traders. But are they now? Sure. But maybe this is a segment of one, and speaking from my own personal experience, I, I had accounts with other places like Hargreaves, Lansdowne, an interactive investor that I'd opened over the years that I bought some shares in. But actually, when I started using free trade, I was like, oh, I see it more, and it was just easy and frictionless. And I, when I thought, oh, I should buy that share, I would just go do it. Mm. And, and like, oh, yeah, I didn't go out, so I've got an extra 50 pounds. I'll buy that share. That's a thing that just feels like I can do that now. I don't have to sit and go through a rigmarole of logging into this thing where I need 18 passwords and then it texts me a thing. And it's like, buying shares even through digital broker portals used to be hard. And now and then, there's something to be said for removing the friction. I think to, to lead his point though, it's like some things are hard for a reason. Mm, but Thank you, David. Lead his point. <laughs> some things should be hard on. for a reason, but, <laughs> but like, Where's the balance here? Because yeah. there are massive consequences to this, but also um, there's real upside. So how are they going to balance this? How mm. are they going to see their way through it? Is it um, But can an we not allow piece? them the learning we just allowed JP Morgan 20 minutes later? It's true. I mean, maybe. Uh, if they watch Spider-Man. <laughs> Everyone has watched Spider-Man, at least one of the 700. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to point out at this stage, this is pretty much where every meeting's like uh, 11FS, all right? Like, it's, just, it's just hard to get through them on the actions. But all right, on that point, we'll probably move on at this stage. Lydia, you're up. I'm up, and I'm the last thing standing between you and the tantalizing smell of today's food. <laughs> Now, let it be said that this is my punishment and my rant bucket, because we're going to talk about money, funding rounds and fintech valuations. My favorite topic to rant about. <laughs> I get to wow. do it while you can smell the amazing dinner and can't get to There it. was a murmur in the audience there when was. you said that. Oh, they, that, that. Obviously, people read me, so they know what's coming. Okay, so let's start with the facts before we start with my opinion. Don't feed the people who are trying to run away, by the way, nice people at the back. Okay, what have we had? Monzo is in talks for more funding. It was announced it has passed 4 million customers as of last week, and that will be leveraged to get more money, as it should be. Revolut recently raised an additional $500 million, but still a lot of money, at a valuation of about $5.5 billion, making it the about the size of Starling. Recently raised £60 million in new funding, taking their total funding to £323 million, although their valuation remains unknown. We also have technology infrastructure firms getting in on the act, with Thought Machine raising £65 million to drive US expansion. That's on top of the £18 million Series A fund, which is believed to have valued the company at more than £100 million. Is this amazing? Is this the last capital injection into fintech before our recession? Or is this a very nice bit of action for the founders, but it tells me nothing about the future viability and profitability of those businesses, which is all we should care about. Go. There's a lot in there, isn't there? I mean, it's interesting because very few of them are really linked to revenue. Yeah, valuation is vanity, right? It, 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 what does it actually mean in terms of revenue? And it means Oak you're North, very pretty and people want to date you. <laughs> but, but also, Oak North just published their um, sort of profit is up more than double on the year before. And, and actually, profit is sanity. Like, mm. that's, that's the thing missing. Revenue is lovely, but profit, that's the yeah. stuff we want. Pro profitability would be a nice thing to have at this stage, wouldn't but it? But also then consider where they're at in the cycle, right? If, if their investors are VC investors, they're thinking over 10 to 12 years. So do they need to be profitable by now? Uh, and do they have the funds they need to run at the burn rate they've got today for the next few years whilst they hit profitability? And there's different answers for different companies. But can I push that for a second? Because the, real, the, the reality is profitability and viability are two different things. And a good exit is a different thing altogether. Mm -hmm. So let's look at our retail challengers that are doing a great job at raising capital. And I love it because I love consuming their products. But the reality is retail banking hasn't been the thing that moved the banking engine for a very long time. Retail banking is a very thing, a hard thing to monetize. So out of all of these people who have, do we have a roving mic? Yeah. Yeah, there's roving mics of, down there. Come on people, wake up. Alex has a thing. 
Out of all of the people we've mentioned and all of the people that are leaving the UK and all of the challenger banks you might be using who are raising capital like crazy, but not a single one is profitable yet, if it was your money, who do you think could do it on their own legs, on their own steam? And you're not, talking about retail banking only, I'm talking right? about retail banking. I'm leaving infrastructure aside. And SME <laughs> banking aside, because Oak North has done very well on profitability. But they were not on my list. <laughs> no, no, they weren't. Sarah's they were not on my list. I'm just giving the, the boundaries, no, the it's retail banking. to the audience. We carry uh, anything between two and six cards in our, bank, in, in our back pockets. We know that retail banking has been the hardest thing to monetize for a long time for the incumbents that we like to beat up. The challengers came in, gave us an amazing experience on the glass, taught us a million things, which hasn't necessarily done them any favors, but it's done the institutions favors. They've managed to raise capital, and I expect they will have some very successful exits that will make the founders very rich. But will they have sustainable, profitable businesses? Any takers? Go, do it. Yeah, I think... Ooh. Stand up, stand up. Loud. I think Revolut, just because they're metal cards, the pre-orders, they've got income. You know, that's in the rent bucket, isn't there? The metal (laughs) cards. I know, I know, I know. But the the pre-orders for it are insane. The amount of revenue they're generating over the lifetime of those customers now every year. They've done it smart, like Samantha Tesla, and gone for the the higher-end customers up front. Mm. And all their money is going into global growth. They're just doing the same in different markets. How do you think that's going to work, given they're supposedly going for a UK banking license and how much it's going to cost them to do that? Like, how much of that revenue do you think is going to be eaten up whilst they're yeah. going for that license? It's interesting, but I think they'll keep the costs low because they're quite good at executing. They'll probably keep a lot of their tech stack in-house. Um, so, yeah, and it, it depends if they can borrow, really. I have one believer in the room. Do I have another <laughs> one? I'll take it. I like believers, There's by another the way. One like, this comes from the heart. Sorry, okay, Alex, one, two, three. Do it, learn. Alex. Guys, let's keep it, let's keep it like... Okay. I, I don't think any of them will ever make any money unless they lend any. So, do they, none of them seem to have, apart from Starling, who are lending money to businesses, the rest of them aren't lending money in any meaningful way. And, and since all of the major retail banks still continue to run their retail banking operations at a loss, does, until does they take, a take the SME piece seriously, that's... That's the only way it's going to happen. If you talk to a senior banker at NatWest, he'd go, I've never heard of Oak North. So if he's never heard of Oak North, how's he going to hear of... I mean, I I doubt that would happen today, but I take your point. Yeah, Yeah, I mean... Alex, we have two more. I think think it's an interesting point on lending, because arguably... I mean, the, the, the trouble with lending is that... I mean, not the trouble, it's where most of the revenue is created, but... It, it sort of changes the balance, doesn't it? You can't, you can't be there to help you, but also taking tax. It's like um, charges on overdrafts. You can't be there for the good of the organization or get there for the good of the customer and then bear trapping you with a punitive charge around a, an overdraft. Or, and similar with lending as well, which it makes it really difficult because the narrative around why those organizations and the community and everything that's there almost needs to evolve to a better place. But that's doesn't the it? point, David, that it's not about beating up either the incumbents or the, the challengers. It's about saying, okay, the business model may not work. And the retail business model was always, I need you to go multi-product. I need you to be two, three products deep. And because that's true. after the third product, you start making me money. But before, you're a loss leader. But, but 10% of the buck makes all of the revenue. And, and retail banks are typically profitable on that model. But they have to have a small bun- bunch of customers that do go multi-product. So and What's interesting to me is, could there be a different business model? And actually, I think there could. But Revolut are going the multi-product route. But they do, the way they're executing it is different. But it is still multi-product, right? I mean, that's the core. The revenue model and how it's marketed is slightly different, but it feels more like traditional retail banking just executed way, way better, way, way more digitally. So let me take that on board. And if the people who had questions still want to answer them, this is the new exam question. We have these incredible valuation rounds, and we do know that some people who had original ideas and got in the action early will walk away very rich. I don't begrudge them a penny, although I envy it a little bit. <laughs> to, to Simon's point, they're executing the old shape of the model so much better. Does the valuation give us any indication of future viability? Do the people who wanted to have a go at it still do? There's one there. There's one, one in there. Last one. So Barclays are worth $20 billion today because they crashed completely and they've got 8 million customers. 
So if that's your benchmark for where do Monzo and everybody else need to get to with their profit per customer and cost per customer as a comparison, I'd still rather buy Barclays shares today at 20 billion. And that's trading below book value as well, given, given recent market moves. So, you know, like a re the market is essentially saying to most high street banks, uh, close the doors on trading below book value. So that's, if you're trading below book value, is that a business you want to be in? Is that the place you want to go, given the, the market headwinds? Or is that just where we are in the cycle? Alex? One more, right front. One more right in the front, then I have a question for the panel. Oh, before no. we close it, I know, concentrate. Yeah, I think fintech's actually living in a, a new era for investment. So we're uh, uh, living in a new era of governance for all companies. ESGT, our environmental impact, our impact on society. How we measure that and how technology drives improvement and boosts performance around those areas. Now we're using technology um, ethically. And we've already heard from every, all the panelists tonight how they give Monzo, as an example, a bit of leeway when they can't actually do a transaction. Mm. Because we trust them and, you know, we give them a bit of leeway. The investor community is shifting to ESG. That's what we want to see in the reporting. Is it sustainable? So I like this and, and I'm going to take sustainability and completely like abuse the position and the chair and the, and the mic. So you, you gave a fuller picture, I'm going to narrow it down. Does the valuation and the number and the money raining down on these entities that have actually changed the conversation and changed the industry we worked in, so on some level they totally deserve it, but is it an indication of sustainability in the most brutal capitalist sense of the term? Will this business stand up on its own two feet after the investors go, eh, I mean, I mean, it means they, I think to your point earlier on, it means they can probably weather a longer storm. So, uh, you know, going into a, a, an inevitable recession, actually having, you know, a multi-billion pound valuation and having raised a couple of hundred million means you're probably ready for winter to a certain degree. Um, so, you know, the squirrels who haven't sort of squirreled <laughs> away those nuts are going to be very sort of difficult to, to sort of Sad deal with that squirrels. thing. But, uh, but I don't think it necessarily says that there's going to be return on value from the investor's perspective. It says if there's going to be a really long, you know, problem, then they'll probably... This be will be the winter of our discontent. Yeah, I, I really like that there's different business models playing out. You know, Monzo started out talking about they want to be the marketplace. Starling has done marketplace, but it's also doing lending. Like, it, it pains me to say this, but the good old-fashioned banking revenue model seems to be the one that's the most successful so far. Can't and actually, that. just doing that better seems to be the one that um, is the one that's succeeding. It turns out universal banking was like a good idea, right? Yeah. yeah. So those bankers might have had a point when they were saying, this isn't new, quote-unquote. I know. Yes, it was new. But actually, the revenue model that works so far hasn't been net new. But I, I'd come to this about like the open banking thing, where you know, the point was one made earlier, which is um, it's starting to become a thing. It hasn't been a thing yet. That's the really interesting thing for me about the challenger banks is they've got a lot of customers. Now they're moving into monetization mode. Actually, will they succeed? And they're, they're, we're getting into the most interesting bit of fintech. And we it's almost like fintech's 1% well. finished. <laughs> oh my god, you just went there. I, I think so, the main <laughs> thing is, we wish them well. This competition, this challenge, this, this energy that forces people to go, oh my God, these guys did a thing that I hadn't thought about, and now I need to do that thing, is exactly what the industry needs. So keep, keep doing it. Keep on keeping on. Love that. Love the ESG point. Love the fact about it. I think we had a bingo full house call as well. We had several full houses so, at the gen back. Gen gen gentlemen, I, I saw there, you, so, so I'll, come, I'll come find you afterwards so and give you a prize. So will they have to okay, fight so. over well, the prize? At least three or four hands went up. First, first, so. first person I saw was that dude. I so, want to um, see the fight. So. No, 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 no. We put them in a ring and then we make them answer quick fire questions. Okay. All right, guys. On that note, that concludes today's FinTech Insider After Dark. Uh, if um, So thank you so much to the sponsor, MyTech. Thank you for my co-host, leader, Sarah and Simon, thank you to everybody in the room for coming along. Give yourself a round of applause.
If you like what you guys have heard, don't forget to leave us a review, and it makes it so much easier for other people to find the show. Speaking of which, if you know somebody who hasn't listened to FinTech Insiders, I mean, probably don't be friends with them anymore, would be my advice. Uh, if you have any suggestions for feedback for the show, hit us up on social or podcast at 11 Thank you very much for everybody. Woo!